created live on Fireside. Good afternoon, everybody. And welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is Wednesday and uh, it is noontime. And so uh, we are here with our first ever uh, audience participation show. You may be thinking, Melissa's Fireside, isn't it always audience participation? Um, I try very hard each week to have uh, compelling guests and to have folks on, on topics. But I wanted to try something a little different this week. We are specifically talking about mental health on campus. And uh, it's a really important subject right now. It is something that is happening and impacting every single aspect of our lives. Um, Mental health is something we've been talking about for months. Um, The pandemic has only made existing issues that much more important um, and more pressing. And uh, so I would say that uh, for anyone who's listening today who may not be a higher education professional, who may be working uh, in another environment, uh, this is very applicable to you. Um, This is a time for us to have a chat. And I want this to be a time for us to connect and for people to share and for us to really kind of dig in a little bit. And, and I think my goal today is to make sure that anyone who's here, anyone who's listening, and anyone who's part of today's show in any way uh, feels listened to and feels seen. Um, I put some thoughts together as part of the intro, and uh, I want to share those, and then we'll get into the kind of the meat of it, and I'll give you a rundown on how to share and how to uh, engage in today's show, either live or uh, via other social media platforms in case you want to be... um, anonymous, okay? Because I know uh, one of the limitations here in Fireside is it's a little public in terms of sharing. Um, And so uh, we want uh, you to, if you are listening, to have an opportunity to share privately. And and I'll talk a little bit about that. And I also have um, some emails and some messages that have been sent to me before today's show uh, that I will share and we will get into that, okay? Um, So uh, thank you for being here and thank you for being uh, part of today's show and we'll get started, okay? Uh, And so I want to uh, talk a little bit about COVID has been an impact on all of us in so many ways. The isolation and lack of control, I think is something that's hitting harder and harder. Uh, For some, their coping mechanism is to uh, ignore it. Uh, ignore the pandemic. Well, this is permitted in some states. I was, uh, I'm going to be traveling this weekend, uh, unfortunately, to a funeral, and I'm going to be going to a state where COVID doesn't exist, and I am going to have to mask up, and I'm going to have to give my all in terms of my emotional and mental readiness uh, to kind of deal with this, right? Um, and so there's that aspect. Uh, but then for others, we're being hypervigilant, uh, creating opportunities for control where it seems that none exists, interacting with people that we feel safe around and in environments where we feel safe, masking up, vaccinating, and keeping uh, somewhat of a sense of control. Um, but the fall of 2021 has yet Uh, been yet a continuum of what's appeared to be that the pandemic doesn't feel like it's ending. Um, And college college campuses are a microcosm of the greater society. If there is an issue of violence in the community, we see it on campus. Racial tensions, we see it on campus. Food insecurity, we see it on campus. COVID is on campus. And as we see in our work, our systems can work. There are campuses who are testing, masking, vaxxing, and their work is continuing. Uh, There are campus traditions which have returned, whether it be athletic events, social events, academic events. Um, 
there might be somewhat different. They may look a little unusual or they may look a little different or even look better um, that I've seen. Uh, but to educate our students and to live our mission, achieve our campus vision and maintain our values, we have had to pivot and we have had to make something happen. And so for campus administrators, mental health has been a discussion point for decades. Any of you who have been part of campus communities, you know that campus mental health has been a discussion for a long, long time. And as I was preparing for today, I remembered back uh, to really the first time I sat down with campus mental health staff as a professional, as a colleague. And it was when I was in a residence life department at Boston University and I was a, a lowly residence hall director. I was an entry level staff member. It was early in my career, 1993. And the counseling staff looked to me and my colleagues, but they also looked both exhausted and optimistic at the same time. Um, they knew their role. They knew that partnering with other people on campus was going to be important. Um, and I listened to what they said and I wrote things down. And one of the things that was clear at the time, and remember, this was 1993, we were eyeball deep in an era when mental health was part of a massive stigma. And if you needed mental health, there was something wrong. There was something wrong with you. And we had to change that stigma. And the counselors came to us and said, what are we going to do to change this? And how can you help us get people to our offices, get people connected, feel that this is part of their frankly, their wellness. It is a tune-up. It is a space for them to feel better. As a very wise mental health counselor once said to me, it is not the goal to be in counseling the rest of your life. Counseling is temporary. The goal is for counseling to end and for you to have within you the tools you need to be better. And now fast forward 21 years later, and I'm working at a much smaller campus at the time. I was working at Mount Ida College, small campus in Newton, Massachusetts. I was the vice president for student affairs. I was the chief student affairs officer and mental health was a part of my portfolio. And we were finding our mental health services were not adequate for our very small population. We didn't have enough counselors. We didn't have uh, we didn't have the type of counselors that people sometimes needed. Uh, our LGBTQ students wanted a certain type of counseling. Our uh, BIPOC students wanted a different type of counseling and counselors who looked like them and counselors they could connect with, which they deserve. And so we had to get creative. We had to partner with a local uh, graduate program that sent us interns that were interns that reflected what our students needed, whether it be veteran students uh, who had served in the military and were experiencing mental health uh, issues that were connect connected to that experience, whether it be our BIPOC and LGBTQ students, we were able to get creative. But it was never enough. Our wait lists were there. We tried hard to get them in. And it appeared in some ways that the challenges of 1993, getting students in was in the rear view mirror, sort of. Some populations, like our BIPOC students, especially black men, were not as interested in counseling. We had to really finesse that and work with other partners, whether it be an athletic coach or a teacher or a uh, faculty liaison to get them in. But for the most part, that stigma was a bit more behind us. But now the new challenge was there, and that was that we needed more counselors, more resources, and more options. In February of 2014, uh, Dr. Greg Henricks wrote about 
the college student mental health crisis in psychology today, saying evidence suggests that this group has greater levels of stress, psychopathology than any time in our nation's history. That was 2014. It is 2021. And you can't tell me it's gotten better. Recognition and awareness of the challenge of the lack of counseling and the issue of counseling shortages on our campuses is real. And the pandemic with the isolation that comes from learning and working from a distance, socially distanced meals, socially distanced events, division over whether the pandemic is even a threat to our existence, our students are beat up mentally and administrators are feeling it too. We are understaffed and overworked, and that is our day-to-day -day reality. In November, uh, this past uh, month on November 22nd, 2021, in the Chronicle of Higher Education, a thought piece by Kevin McClure entitled, Colleges Are Hiring, But Do People Want to Work There? He said, and I quote, understaffing is particularly pernicious because it can have a destabilizing effect on an organization. Some projects fail to move forward without enough people to propel them or units find themselves in a holding pattern waiting for key positions to get filled. And sometimes understaffing can beget labor shortages. A simple example of this can be seen in efforts to find people to fill a search committee. When understaffing meets the great resignation, you get a potentially high number of search committees forming simultaneously without enough people with the time or energy to serve on them. So here we are. Today, we're going to ask you about your mental health, yours, your students, and what is to come. I want to hear from you. I want you to be part of the dialogue. I have some comments. I have some thoughts from people by email um, and by direct messenger on, uh, on uh, Twitter as well as LinkedIn. Now, speaking of, if you follow me on Twitter um, at DeVoe Train, so my last name, D-E, V as in Victor, E-A-U, Train, like in Choo Choo Train, if you go into Twitter and you send me a direct message because we're a mutual follow, I will absolutely take your comment and I will not credit you because I want you to feel uh, that this is being kept private. Also, if you are connected to me or not on LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, at Dr. Laura DeVoe, and uh, you can send me a, uh, a message there in LinkedIn, okay? And we are going to use that as a way for people who may be feeling a bit uh, hesitant about going public with their concern. And so I want you to feel that uh, if you want to put something out there, we will keep it private. Um, and if you want to go on the record and you want to be part of the conversation, you can absolutely do that as well. Here on Fireside, we have a wonderful opportunity to do so, and you just have to request to come up on stage and ask your question. We are going to spend some time in between any feedback from folks talking about some observations from this semester. I'm gonna provide some resources. I'm going to provide some important uh, articles. And uh, if you are someone who uh, is part of my Substack distribution list, all of these will be in my next Substack and you will receive these, okay? So you will have that and you can follow me um, in a variety of places and I am going to put that information up in the, uh, in the, the fortune cookie right now. So if you are not following me in other uh, environments, other social media platforms, you can do that. So I have a question. And uh, it comes from uh, a student affairs administrator. Uh, this person uh, works in, uh, they appear to be someone who has a broad 
uh, portfolio, uh, supervise a couple of functional areas, um, and uh, they ask me this. They said, Dr. DeVoe, we are feeling it. The great resignation is hitting us hard. Uh, but also, I have decided because of my pre-existing health conditions to work from home. I enjoy the flexibility. I enjoy the opportunity to be able to do such. But I am feeling isolated. I am feeling set apart from my colleagues. And the joy of my job is no longer there. This is hitting my mental health. I would like to see a counselor, but I am concerned that my supervisor and others in my human resources office will be made aware of it. I would like your thoughts. All right. Well, first of all, I want to put the mental health uh, awareness of your uh, supervisor uh, and the HR office. Um, here's the thing. Most universities and colleges have a staff support, faculty staff uh, support program. Um, it should be able to be something you can engage without the knowledge of your HR office. And it definitely needs to be something that you can engage without the knowledge of your supervisor. So I want to put that aside. If you've never used a staff assistance program or faculty assistance program, they are there for you. It is part of your, uh, your benefit package. Um, another thing to look into is what's your health insurance look like and does that include mental health and you just keep it completely disconnected dis, uh, uh, from your office environment, okay? Um, but I want to put that aside. Okay, there should be a way either through your staff assistance program or through your mental health program, through your own uh, situation that you can connect. Your point, the, the, the writer's point about feeling that they've lost the joy in their job because of the isolation of working from home. Uh, it'll be interesting because there's another, uh, the next question I'll get to is something uh, from a, a staff member who cannot work from home. Um, their institution has decided not to have a work from home program and they're feeling the mental health uh, isolation as well, even though they are on campus. You being a uh, home, working from home, feeling that level of isolation, a piece of advice that I am giving people and my clients, as well as just colleagues and friends, is this. If you're working from home, dress for work. Be present. If you are someone who, uh, you know, it, yes, it's nice to put on sweatpants. It's nice to put on leggings. It's nice to not to have to put the suit on. But here's the thing. You want to feel work ready. You want to look work ready. And whatever that looks like in your environment, some of your campuses are more casual, some are a little more buttoned up. But I say this because if you are mentally in a space where you are work ready, you're going to connect work ready. Don't be on Zoom all day. If you can say to someone, can we make this a walk and talk meeting. We'll do it on the phone. You walk, I walk, but we're talking separately. We're going for a walk and talk meeting. How do you create that joy again is going to be about how you engage. It is absolutely okay to set boundaries and to be able to say to your colleagues or to your students, this is where I'm at right now. I have this amount of time for you. I have this, I have a hard stop at this time. I want to give you my full attention. It is okay to articulate that. Where you're at mentally also about your joy should be about look at, and now is a very good time to do it, 
the end of the semester is an excellent time to look at your last few months of work, pull up your schedule, see what you've accomplished, see the calls that you had to deal with, see the, the parents you had to respond to, see what was there and say, am I doing the work that I was brought here to do? And do I feel like I'm accomplishing that work? I am not going to tell you to leave your job. I am going to tell you to reconnect with your job. And if that reconnection is not possible because of the environment that you're in, then it is a time for you to make a mental note. I hope that answers your question. I hope that provides some help. And I hope that you can use the time ahead to find that joy. So I appreciate that comment. Before getting on to our next question from a remote, uh, from a, from a someone who cannot work remote, um, I want to draw your attention to uh, one of our resources that we are going to talk about today. One of them is uh, a recently published uh, work literally just came out today from the folks at Inside Higher Ed. Um, and it is entitled uh, a, oh, sorry about that. I want to say the Unrelenting Campus Mental Health Crisis. Um, so I'm going to put that resource up into uh, the the chat at one point, up into the um uh, fortune cookie. I don't know why I have such a tough time saying fortune cookie. I literally look at the fortune cookie on the screen and I can never like formulate the words fortune cookie. So I'm going to put it up in the scroll, put it up in the fortune cookie for you, um, and make sure you all have that. Um, but inside higher ed just published it. I think it will be an important read. I think it will be something that we will all have to draw on. Um, and so I, uh, encourage you all to take a look at that. Um, and so I will put that up in a moment once I can formulate a way to do that through my notes. Okay. Um, and so I think that's an important subject. We need to make sure we have that um, close at hand. Um, and I think that it will be important for us to take a look at that uh, over the break. If you are, and I always say over the break, for those of you who work in higher education, you understand what I'm talking about, because, you know, we all kind of look at uh, the winter break as a time to disconnect and renew. Um, and then it'll be time for you to take a look as you come back. Okay. And, uh, it's a good thing to go over with your staff, um, and with your colleagues. Um, so as a, as a call, uh, one of the things that we will do now is go on to another question. Again, if you are here and you want to ask a question live, please, uh, please volunteer to come on up. Love to have you. Um, if you are someone who is more hesitant about being heard, uh, please, uh, you can send something to me as a direct message on Twitter or in a direct message in LinkedIn. Uh, those, uh, DMS are open right now. Um, so the other question, uh, comes from a person to, they said, I am, uh, I am at a, a medium sized institution and we have decided that we are not going to have a work from home policy. I am, uh, a, I am someone who works with students frontline. Um, but, uh, during the pandemic, we were able to keep our, services um, on point. We actually served more students than we had uh, the previous year, more issues, uh, and uh, we're more, uh, we're able to expand our services. Uh, being able to work from home allowed for us to have evening uh, hours and early morning hours. Students enjoyed those hours. Now we are being told we are no longer um, allowed any work from home and let me make sure I have this right. Okay. Yeah. And we're not working from home and we, uh, we are now being forced to go back into our eight to four time zones. Um, and we are not going to have evening hours. Uh, so 
Oh, time zone. I said time zones. I apologize. Hours of operation. Um, and we are not going to have evening hours any longer. Um, I am afraid I am going to lose colleagues and this will mean I will have more work. Uh, any thoughts on how to advocate for myself and my mental health? Okay. So I think it's important. Uh, that's a good question. I'm glad this person brought up advocating, uh, what they can do it. When someone says, how do I advocate for myself? That, that says to me, they like where they're working. Um, but they want a better work environment. Okay. So, uh, we have this, this issue. Many, of uh, campuses, uh, have, taken a look at work from home, remote works, uh, flex time, whatever they want to call it. Um, there is apparently, I had lunch with some friends yesterday. I was told that they had a consultant come in and draw up a plan for their campus. Um, I'm, you know what, if you're a campus and you need a consultant, give me a call because what I'm seeing aren't great plans. Um, and so happy to help you. That being said, how do you advocate for yourself when a decision has been made and now you're going in and you are having to fill a role that your concern is going to turn uh, people away from campus, uh, turn people away, they're not going to want to be there, and that's going to impact not only your work life but your mental health, okay, because you're going to be more tired, you're going to be more frustrated, and if you end up taking on more, it's, it's a lot because, uh, you know, have had many people say to me, I don't feel like I'm doing my job well, uh, because I'm doing three or four jobs. Okay. So I'm not doing these jobs that I wasn't hired to do and I'm not doing my own job well. So that is not a very fulfilling space for my head to be at when I'm trying to do my work. Very good point. Very good point. So how do you advocate for yourself? Well, first and foremost, you say to your supervisor, look, I am, I am mindful of the fact that this decision was made several pay grades above my head. Um, but I want to be clear is that as we move forward, as remote work is no longer on the table, these are the things that I will need to feel supported. And I think it will benefit the whole. It's important for you to come up with some thoughts, some plans, and some ideas based on your campus culture, what your office has done over the last year, and how moving away from a remote or a flex environment is going to impact the goals and objectives of the students that you are serving, okay, and your office. If you make it about you, you also have to make it a bit about the people you serve, and the environment that you have. It's going to be very important for you to say that. I think it's also going to be a very honest decision if they come back and say, well, this is it. We can't make any changes. Nothing's going to be said. This is where you need to have a plan in the back of your head. Is it time to fish or cut bait? Or is it time for you to, you know, kind of make make your decision known and say, I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to do what I have to do, but I am going to be honest with you. This is where I'm at. This is what I need. I'm going to be taking my sick time. I'm going to be taking my personal time. I'm going to be doing all of those things. We have not talked about that yet. How many of you have ratcheted up lots and lots and lots of time? It could be personal time. It could be vacation time. It can be sick time. Whatever the time is that you have owed to you, use it. And yes, I know people say, it's very hard for me to take my personal time. It's very hard for me to make my vacation time. I don't vacation well. I get it. You don't have to go to Aruba. If it is vacation time or personal time, and you're going to use that to get go to go and for a walk, go for a hike, get a manicure, get, have lunch with a friend, get out of your house. 
drive somewhere and visit a dear friend. If that's going to help you, then do it and use that time. But to my friend here, to our listener who cannot work from home because their institution has decided we are not going to have a work from home policy, you must work in person, then damn it, take your time. All of it. A wise person once uh, uh, once said, you know, you need to use your time. But if you can cash out the vacation time at the end of your time at a place, something to think about. I get it. Cashing out vacation time is fun, especially when it's a nice big check. But that nice big check, some of it, go shopping. Go do something. Treat yourself. Get away. Don't just sit at home and look at your doom scroll on Twitter or look at your computer and check email. Not helpful. Not helpful. I hope that helps. I hope that brings you some thoughts about what you can do to manage that. The other thing is if you are in a a union, if you are part of a union, Make sure the union's on board with all of this and understand what's going on and go to your union and say, are we doing anything here? Are you helping us out? What am I dues going towards? It's important. So you are here. It is 1230. We are halfway through uh, today's show. Uh, We are talking about mental health on campus. We are talking about you. We are talking about you as college administrators, faculty, um, how the mental health crisis is hitting your campus, hitting you. I want people to feel seen. I want them to feel heard. I want them to be about you for today's show. I want this to be about a reflection on what's happening in your space. Um, as I said, if you want to uh, provide me with a direct message on either Twitter or uh, LinkedIn, I have those windows open in front of me. Um, in case you want it to be private. Um, so I want to be able to be mindful of that. So please do that. If you are here in, uh, the show listening live here in the space that is fireside and you have something to contribute, love to have you come on up on stage, ask your question, or you listen to your comment. Um, and that would be great as well. Next week, I will be joined by uh, our uh, returning guest, Beth Grampetro. Uh, she will be joining us uh, at a special time. We will be at our usual day, Wednesday, but we will be on at 3 p.m., uh, where we'll be talking about next semester shows, what we are planning for next semester, what's going on. And um, Beth's going to be making some additional uh, appearances next semester. Her background in health, wellness, and uh, frankly, management of the counseling area, um, as well as some of uh, some of her other background, I think is really important. And she has come in on various times uh, this past semester and been a great guest. And so we're going to see a little bit more of Beth next semester. And uh, we are going to talk a bit about what that's going to look like. So I hope you're able to join us on Wednesday at three o'clock as we go into the Christmas, New Year's holidays. Um, And then we will be taking a short break uh, for uh, for the holidays, but we will be back on Wednesday, uh, January the 5th. Um, So we will be back on Wednesday the 5th. So uh, next week will be our last show of 2021. And we will probably have a top 10 list uh, for the higher education folks uh, of what we have experienced this past semester and what things look like. So we're going to have a little uh, a little bit of fun and look uh, towards the semester ahead. Um, <clears throat> so here we are. Um, this is, uh, office hours with Dr. DeVoe. We are talking about mental health on campus. We're talking about your mental health and, uh, a couple of other resources I wanted to share with all of you. Um, and again, if you subscribe to my Substack, if you see the, the scroll going up across the screen right now, uh, you can, uh, click on that. It is my, um, link tree and it gives you all the details on how to get connected with me, including subscribing to my Substack. Um, 
all of these resources will be listed. Um, and so there, I'm going to share a local news story uh, from Huntington, West Virginia, um, from Marshall University. Uh, and it talks about counseling centers on college campuses are swamped like never before with students seeking mental health. Um, numbers are high, et cetera. Um, what the folks at Marshall University uh, said, uh, Nikki Barr, who's their assistant director, uh, we have a quote here, going from seeing about 600 students here to 11, so sorry, to 1,000 just this semester um, is uh, creating long waits for appointments and it's really taking its toll on the mental health staff on the campus. This is not only Marshall University in beautiful Huntington, West Virginia. This is every campus in America that I know people at, that I see people at, that I hear from at. We have a crisis of counseling professionals being able to access our, to be able to hire, to bring to our campus. Okay. Five, six years ago, you could post a counseling job and you'd get Cause I know, cause I did counseling job posted 30, 40, 50 applications. Yeah. Were there some people you said no? Yeah. That happens with any job search. The problem at the time was having enough time to review all the applications. Now I'm hearing from people you're getting one, two. If you get a half dozen, that's a lot. This relates to a question I got from a senior student affairs officer who says counseling is part of my portfolio. We do not have robust application pools. What should we do? We have long lines, long wait times, and our counselors are getting overwhelmed and our students aren't getting helped. Okay. Typical VPSA quick and to the point. What should we do? All right. We have a lot going on. And I think that one of the things I would say is you work with your college mental health staff and you bring them together and you say, what do we have that we have to our disposal? We have a care team. We have our uh, residence life staff. We have academic advisors. What, what do we have to our disposal to help with the triage, getting people in the door and making sure that we manage this wait time? learn from other places. One of the best things that I've ever done um, in terms of learning is learn from even other countries. Uh, the folks in Canada, uh, many of those institutions have a different system where they bring people in and they have a person on for triage for the day um, and people get immediate assistance, get them into a spot. Do you need to bring in an, a product? Let's say something like um, uh, one of the one of the remote uh, counseling programs. Um, I'm hearing campuses doing everything from the Calm app all the way to remote counseling. Um, I'm hearing all types of options out there. Okay. There is a program or a, a, an outsource called Protocol. Um, it's a pro to call. Um, I will tell you from my own experience, bringing that service to campus, it can be done quickly. If a campus was able to find the funds for it right now, they probably could have you up and running by the end of January, which is pretty damn quick. All right. Now is the time right now. We are in December. If you are a vice president, or a director of a counseling area, and you need to say, all right, we got to look back to this semester and see what happened right now is the time to say what's working, what's not working, where do we want to be come six months from now? And you need to make some plans. Use the resources. Who do you have on campus who already connects with your office? Who doesn't? And you wish they did. Earlier in the show, I brought up coaches. 
athletic coaches can be hugely important about getting their, their athletes, not only to you, but also helping you get them in the door and understanding what's going on here. If a student is presenting something, it may not be everything that's happening in that student's life. People who have that relationship with the students can be super helpful, but there needs to be a conduit. Do you have somebody who can be that conduit? Someone who is not going to try to be a counselor because by the by, if you're not a mental health counselor, get out of the way. You're not a mental health counselor, but getting people to counseling can be helpful. And if you know what is happening in someone's life and you can share that information, they're going to get a better counseling experience. So maximize your campus resources. Number two, what is available for you in your region, in your neighborhood, in your city? You may be saying they are tapped out too. Probably. But if you reach out, you never know what they actually may be able to provide you. And they may be happy to help. They may be able to bring you some resources that you don't always have. Case in point, here in my environment, we are very close to the Fenway, which is an LGBTQ hospital. They have an amazing mental health program. If I have a student who is going through a transition or a student who specifically needs LGBTQIA counseling. I don't have that on my campus. What partnership can I have with this off-campus location? They may be willing to have something for that student remote that would be able to be worked with. Speaking of, there are people private mental health practitioners who have now set up partnerships with colleges and universities who say, I'm in the neighborhood. I'm able to do this. Students can either come to my practice or we can do remote work. Think about what's out there. Your community may have some good solutions for you. If you have a high veteran population, is there a coordinated effort with your local VA? Your VAs are very, very, very overtaxed right now. But if you don't ask, you don't know. Okay. So if you don't ask if they can handle it, you don't really know if they can handle it. You may be surprised by what they have available. The one thing the VAs are doing right now is they're actually expanding their resources for our veterans in terms of mental health, in terms of group work and that sort of thing. Speaking of group work, sometimes what your students want is actually something you can address for many students all at once. They don't want to feel alone in their anxiety. They don't want to feel alone in their stress. They don't want to feel alone in whatever they're working on. Group work is actually very valuable and it allows for you to get in touch with more students at one time. And it may be able to get people into a space where they're at least feeling a relief and a release. The last thing I would say is before people leave for the semester, before things go away, shut down that office during the exam week or at a time where you know you can, you can do it, trust your staff and say, when can we shut down for a couple hours? Because we need to focus on what we have to do moving forward. And if you are a chief student affairs officer or an executive level person at your institution where counseling sits. It is now your responsibility to do that executive work. Figure it out. What can you do to bring it to the table? What can you do to help alleviate this? All right. There are a lot of opportunities out there. And right now, when you're eyeball deep in it, 
you may not be able to make that decision because you're so overwhelmed. Take a minute. Do some soul searching and problem solving and see what you can do to augment the support services come semester two. It's going to be very important. Um, I want to also call your attention another story uh, that comes from uh, the great nutmeg state of Connecticut. Um, the governor, Ned Lamont, uh, put $2.7 million program to enhance mental health services at higher education institutions. And this was just released this past week on the 8th of, uh, of uh, December. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a devastating toll on mental health of college and university students that left unchecked could have significant long-term ramifications on overall well-being. Governor Lamont said, this funding is an important step forward in ensuring our institutions of higher learning are equipped to provide every ounce of support possible. If you are a higher education administrator in the great state of Connecticut, you should be looking at those grants and see what's going on. I bring this up because there may be other states out there doing this. And if you know of some, please connect with me and I'll make sure I put that in the notes um, in the uh, substack this week. Okay. I bring this up because in my last question about what to do, and I said, what resources are available to you? If there are state grants, you dial up and you say, what do I got to do to do this? You work with your, uh, your grant writers on your campus and you get something in there because you may be able to say, I really want to get a contract for protocol, but I don't have that kind of money right now. All right. Does it fit with the, with the grant program? Let's write a grant for it. I want to use the Calm app. I want to use, I know my students like apps on their phones. What kind of apps are out there that are partnering with colleges and universities about mental health? Oh, this is going to cost me this amount of money. Let's get it done. I want to bring in a music therapist. I want to bring in someone who does drum circles. I want to bring in someone who does art therapy, whatever the case may be. Let's figure it out. What's going to connect with your campus? Because that's the other thing. As you're trying to figure this out and you're trying to come up with your solutions, know your campus, know your culture. Period. What works at one university, especially if it's a big research one, gigantic university, that may not work at your teeny tiny little rural school. Remember that. Doug, thank you for joining us up here. What are your thoughts on this? You can unmute yourself. Welcome to Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Great. Thanks, Laura. Um, and I really appreciate that you're creating this space where we can have these kinds of conversations because when we get into this kind of perpetual crisis mode in terms of trying to help students meet their mental health needs, it also manifests itself in the enrollment management space too. And so what I find is we sometimes end up kind of split in terms of we want to be sensitive to students' needs as far as possibly stopping out, possibly mm -hmm. going from part-time to full-time and these other kinds of options. So we want to be sensitive to that. And yet from an enrollment management perspective, now we have to be ready to find other students where we can and so sometimes at my institution we will we'll create lists of folks who've stopped out for x number of months or years prior mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. call them up see what's happening thinking of coming back and so we're on a sometimes we feel like we're on a hamster wheel of we want to be there for our students and and help them do the right thing for them while at the same time scrambling to uh, you know, meet those enrollment management goals too, even if the, you know, the ways we're doing that don't seem like uh, high yield <laughs> kinds of, kinds of options, but what else is there to right. do? Does that make Absolutely sense? Absolutely makes sense. And I apologize. My, uh, my, my, uh, my internet froze because that's 
2021, right? Um, and so I got your point and I heard what you were saying and I do appreciate what you were saying, especially as it relates to uh, what we're talking about with our, our enrollment staff, okay? Um, and I wanna highlight that. And that idea, and, and you're not the only person I've had this conversation with, Doug, and I want you to understand that, is that when it comes to enrollment, we need to be honest with what does retention look like, what does new student enrollment look like, and what does it mean to support students on a stopout, right? And I'm hearing people, I was talking to some folks this week, because this is that time of year. For those of you who, who uh, may not be aware, this is that time of year where we're looking at who's registered for class, who's eligible to uh, register for class, who's coming back next semester, right? And you are saying, okay, it is now December 15th, and I have this many students who have not registered. What does this look like? What's it going on? And we need to be positioning that conversation with the students of saying, hey, Doug, noticed you haven't registered yet. Let's talk about that. Not send them the email that says, if you don't do this by this day, you will blah, blah, blah. Like we have to change the dialogue. We have to make sure it's supportive and it's student-centered, okay? And at the same time, as managers, we need to come up with workflows that are going to optimize the staff that we have, get the work done in the best way possible without adding extra stress on the people who are already stressed. Doug, what do you think about that? I'm going to ask you to unmute yourself. Okay. He's giving me a little thumbs up. There okay. we go. Hi, sorry. <laughs> okay. So it, no, I, I appreciate those points. It's, it's certainly a thing where I and my colleagues who are reaching out to not yet registered students are trying to make that conversational, mm -hmm. trying to say the, Hey, tell me what's happening for you. Mm -hmm. And to make sure that students see us as, those allies yeah. rather than like the wagging our finger, you'd better get registered right, for. Right. And, and so in order to, in order to represent that for our students, what we have to do on the back end of that is scale mm -hmm. up quickly and spontaneously how many students we can be there for right. in order to make those enrollment management goals. So it's a, it's a, tricky balance there. And it's not always obvious how to, you know, give more to one or the other right. on that. And it's also a good time. I mean, I know there's some campuses that do this more effectively than others, um, but it's a good time to utilize, again, other resources. So if you have uh, peer educators, if you have peer advisors, this is a good spot for that. Um, it's, you know, work in tandem with your residence life office and say, all right, resident directors, we have these people who have not registered. Uh, do you have any information? Is there anything we can do? So that way you can actually have more uh, informed conversations. And I like what you're saying about that scale up and what do we have to do? We know that higher ed is not always known for being nimble, um, but I will say the last 15, 18, 20 months, we've had to kind of rejig everything. Now, on that point too, is on those conversations that you're having, um, I would also recommend that in any way possible, you don't wanna say somebody, okay, we're not gonna involve the, the financial aid office when a student's taking a stop out because you need to. But one of the things you can do is say to the financial aid office, when we're talking to students about a stop out, how do we want to do this most effectively to make sure that you are getting students in to see you and that a student isn't jumping through eight fiery hoops to take that stop out? Um, you want them to come back. You want them to be able to connect back to the campus and you want them to re-enroll. Um, that's always the goal, right? When it comes to enrollment. Um, I think the last thing I would definitely do is also talk to them about what's your plan 
What is your plan during that stop out? What are you going to do for yourself? And how are we going to do get back together? And this might sound like a hokey badoki kind of comment, but whenever I did something that said, I am going to reach back out to you, let's make a time. And if you see this phone number pop up on your phone, please answer it. Eight out of 10 times, they, they followed through. I'm not going to say 10 out of 10, but eight out of 10, they, they followed through. That's great. Thanks so much. Doug, thank you for your comments and thank you for coming on in. And so I appreciate you. Um, and so on our last five minutes, uh, I want to draw your attention to uh, one more comment uh, that I received uh, through uh, advance of the show. Um, and that was uh, a comment from a new professional, um, someone who this has been their first year. Um, and even though it's not a full year, but this is their first year. Um, and, uh, their comment is as follows. I am a, a new professional. I work with students at risk students, and I am having a, a difficult time because of my personal situation. I moved out of my home state for this job. Um, I feel not only isolated, but I also feel that I have not connected with my campus fully. Uh, and the person is really looking to say, I, I am, uh, I'm going to just, you know, kind of interpret this because it gives a little too much information. I want to kind of give them a little space. But basically what they're saying is they've moved away from home. They've moved away from where they went to college. They moved away from everything. They started this job that was supposed to be their dream job. And they're feeling pretty disconnected from their campus as well as from their supervisor because they're in a work from home, uh, work from uh, home remote uh, situation. Um, they also don't feel like they know the students very well. Um, they, uh, again, are working with, uh, at-risk students, uh, students who, uh, are more, uh, likely to, uh, take that stop out, uh, if we don't work with them. And, uh, so they're feeling like they're trying to get themselves acclimated and they're not quite sure in the right space. Um, Here's what I would say um, in this is number one, it's been a semester. Um, in a perfect world, your first semester on a new job right out of graduate school is not going to be perfect. Um, this isn't a perfect world. This isn't uh, a normal situation. Um, and so I would say in this particular case that as you are exploring um, and becoming more in tune with the with the institution, if you, and it, it doesn't say anything in here about the person not wanting to come to campus and not being on campus, be intentional, uh, make some time, find that time to come to campus, be on campus. If you are permitted to do so, it's, it does not seem based on what you've put out there that you can't be on campus. Um, so do that. Ask the students to tour you around. Say, you know what? I'm still trying to figure this out. I have some places I would like to see. Will you take me there? Will you show me around? Let the students help to onboard you to the campus culture and have them help you onboard you to what their life is like. Um, it will allow for you to have that kind of dialogue, that opportunity, that connection. Um, when it comes to your supervisor, say, I would like to, I, well, I'm going to back up a second. First of all, supervisors and mentors are two different things. And start to engage with your supervisor as a truly a supervisor and keep the mentorship to somebody who is either a graduate uh, student, uh, your, your graduate advisor, uh, someone who was uh, a, an important part of your life previously to this before you came into this work. Um, keep it to that for right now. Right now, what you need is a space, a person of support in your space, and that is your supervisor. And as you leave this fall semester, put it out there that you would like to reboot in the spring and you need their help kind of reacclimating you to what priorities should be and what their work should be. Okay. Um, and the reason I bring this up is a lot of times when a supervisor hears from a new employee, they're asking for a mentorship role and what, what they're really not ready to give that yet. 
So remember that. So engage with your supervisor, bring up anything from the start of your career at the institution to say, these are the things you've asked me to do. This is what I feel like I'm hitting on, on pretty well. These are some areas that I need a help with. I need to rejig. I need to reboot and see what, what can come of that. But take some opportunity to get out there yourself and get that get that done in your own space as best you can um, by engaging with the students that it is clear in uh, your email that you really want to do more with. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And thank you uh, for being here. This has been a great show. It's been a great conversation. Doug, thank you for coming on up and being here. This is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Uh, we will be back here next Wednesday, uh, December the 22nd. Um, and we will be here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Time, only here on Fireside. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>